you're joining us online, if you're here in the building, we're so glad that you're uh, with us to worship this morning. If uh, sometime later in this week you're going to tune in and watch it because you're at the track today, we're equally glad that you're, uh, that you're tuning in. Well, today is um, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend, and we, we celebrate Memorial Day. We remember, we commemorate those men and women who have given their lives in uh, military service and paid that ultimate price. So as we, as we pray today, I would invite those of you who have family ones, loved ones, friends who have paid that ultimate price, I would invite you to stand right now as we pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for those who have served. We thank you for those who have paid that ultimate price so that we could have the freedom to worship. And Father, as we remember, as we express our gratitude, we're thankful to you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that you have given your life for us, that you've made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. So, Father, as we open up your words this morning, as we talk about what it means to truly be transformed, to truly live for you, Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher. Guide us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As I think about Memorial Day, I'm reminded of one of my favorite war movies, Saving Private Ryan. If you know the movie, the premise of the movie, there are three brothers who have been killed in World War II around the same time, and the war secretary discovers that this has happened. But there's another brother still out serving, Private Ryan, played by Matt Damon. And uh, there's a special assignment that the war secretary will give to Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks. So the premise of the movie is Tom Hanks will lead this, Captain Miller will lead this small team, and they will go through everything to bring Private Ryan home, to save Private Ryan. Great movie, dramatic movie, and there's this one particular scene where Captain Miller has, has finally found Private Ryan. He's finally found him. But uh, in that process of rescuing him, Captain Miller has been wounded mortally and will, will soon die. And is with his last breaths, he says to, Cap or he says to Private Ryan, earn this. Earn it. In the end of the movie, you see a, a, an elderly Private Ryan looking back. He's at the gravesite of Captain Miller, tears in his eyes, his family around him. And he turns to his wife and says, have I, have I lived a good life? And there are such poignant questions that we hear in this movie, but that, that simple challenge, earn this. 
Now, as you think about this, some of you, as you say, I'm in church, I'm thinking about the gospel, I've heard many, many times it's not about earning. I cannot earn my salvation. Can I get an amen? But yet at the same time, at the same time, how do I respond to the sacrifice, to that ultimate sacrifice that God has made for me. So it's in this tension as followers of Jesus that we live. So how do I, how do I ultimately please God? How do I ultimately live up to the sacrifice that Jesus has made for me? How do I do that? The good news is the Apostle Paul will give us the answer in Romans chapter 12. How do I live in response? How do I live out the gospel? How ultimately do I live a life that pleases God? If you're newer with us today, we've been on this long journey through Paul's letter to the Romans. And in this letter, we see all kinds of heavy theology. It's about the gospel. It's about the good news that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus is our rescuer. He is the one who has defeated the power of sin and death and rescues all who believe in him. That's chapters 1 through 11. Last few weeks, we took this double-click on God's sovereignty and how God's in control. Uh, T.J. Brad did a wonderful job last couple weeks in helping us unpack that. Now we're to the pivot where we say, how do I live this out? What does my life ultimately look like? So let me read chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, Paul, in this passage, we will not be able to unpack all eight uh, verses fully today, but I believe there are at least three things that Paul shows us in these verses. He will show us very simply what we need to do to please God, why we should live to please God, and then how we can live a life 
that pleases God. Very simply, very logically this morning, the what, the why, and the how. Heavy lean on probably the most important questions of those, the why. We begin, begin with the what, though. Paul says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is it that God is asking of us? To give your whole self. Your whole self. Very simple. (laughs) Very clear. But hard. To give your whole self, not just your Sunday morning, not just your cleaned up self, but your whole self, 24-7. He says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, we had a Greek-Roman audience, we had a Jewish-Christian audience, and they would have looked at this differently. Everybody in the ancient world understood the idea of kind of animal sacrifice. But this did not represent a sin offering. This was not a, hey, offer yourself so that you may be saved. Let's get that crystal clear right now. That's not what this is talking about. That's what 1 through 11 has been about. Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He is the sin offering. But this is a burnt offering. This is, saying, this is laying yourself before God, your whole self, in response to what God has done, to please God. This is a whole life commitment. Now, it reminds us of the words of Jesus who says, I give you this command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So much of Romans 1 through 11 has been about this vertical relationship with God In these last 12 through 16, we're going to dive in more to the horizontal relationship with people. Anybody dealt with any conflict in the last year? Any, like, really hard, sticky? I've got people who see life differently than me. We're going to dig into that in the next few weeks. How do I, good night, I got people, I knew them, and I thought they were, we saw things the same, but during this whole pandemic, crazy things have come out. How do we get along? Okay, we're going to lean into that uh, in in the coming weeks. So it's not a sin offering, it's a burnt offering. It's a giving of my whole self, this vertical relationship with God. The idea that the body is mentioned would have been an affront to the Greeks who thought it was all about just the spiritual stuff that mattered. No, no, no. This is your whole self. Your whole self. Now, that's the what. Simple. What do you give to God? Everything. Just one thing. Everything. That's all he asked for. Now, let's get to the why. That's where Paul starts. He starts with this wonderful conjunctive adverb, therefore. This word, therefore. What is the therefore? Therefore, therefore always tells us to look back what happened in 1 through 11. This is the gospel. Therefore, in view 
of God's mercy. This is the why, in view of. What's it mean to be in view? To see it, to see God's mercy, to see what he's done for you. That is the why, by the mercies of God's grace. Therefore, I urge you, this is, a, this is not a command, this is an appeal. Paul is saying, look, let me, let me show you. I want you to see this clearly. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, what's it mean to worship, to give worth to, to give ultimate worth to? This, this uh, true and proper Logikos is the word. It, it looks like logos. It looks like logic. And it's translated differently. The NIV, which I'm reading from, says true and proper. ESV will say spiritual. Old school King James will say this is your reasonable act of service. What does it mean? All of the above. It also has this hint of Jesus is the Word, the divine logos. This is your Jesus act here. This is what we do. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning about the why. There is a logic that makes sense. There is a logic, what I'm going to call the Jesus logic, that makes all the sense in the world. Sometimes when we talk about, uh, have you ever heard one of those romantic stories of somebody, you know, they, they, they come to Jesus and they say, I'm going to renounce everything. In this great emotional moment, they say, I'm going to give up everything for Jesus, and how long does that last? <laughs> Sometimes it sticks. Okay. Maybe you've been to camp, maybe you've had kids go to camp and they have this emotional experience. And they come home and you're so excited. You say, yes, finally all my prayers have been answered. And then a couple weeks later, we, things change a little bit. And we can kind of go up and down. And there's this continual path of how do I start and restart and get stuck and move forward in faith. That's all part of the journey. But what I want you to see this morning is the logic of the sacrifice. The logic of of the sacrifice, that it doesn't have to be this emotional, irrational thing, but it is very much the rational thing to do. Now, there's a logic of Jesus, but there is a competing logic in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his perfect will. There is a competing why, a competing pattern of this world. I want you to think about that this morning. There's a competing pattern of this world. There's the logic of Jesus that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The logic of the world that says, what is this world ultimately about? It's about the company called Me Incorporated. 
and I am the CEO, me, myself, and I. So how do I, how do I compete, how do I weigh those competing interests, those different patterns, those different logical models? Now, it's interesting, this summer, um, it's interesting, I was an English major, English teacher for years. I deal in, like, words and stories, and I like poetry and those kinds of things. I, I gave up math a long time ago. I was never really a business guy, but I got two sons that are want to be business tycoons, and then I've got two, two of their, uh, <clears throat> I've got a couple roomies, which is great, Couple college friends, so we got four dudes in the basement. One's going to get married soon. They've all got jobs in Indy, but they talk about business and they talk about negotiation and they talk about money and they talk about stocks and up and down and all that. So I live in this world of like money and numbers, which is typically not a world I tend to lean into, for better and for worse sometimes. But that's reality. But we've been, been, been talking a lot, and I, I was reminded, uh, you know, as we think about this and as I was preparing for the message, uh, came across, you know, one particular resource that was talking about these case studies in the Harvard Business Review. And that's kind of how they train MBA students a lot of times. You look at these, you look at these case studies, and, uh, you know, one of my kids went through Kelly School of Business. Yeah, we do case studies all the time. And two case studies in particular that I think challenge us to think. One is uh, there's a man named John, and John is in his 30s. John's an engineer. John is a collector of antiques. And he's from the South, and he goes to this one uh, particular um, kind of mansion that's run down and, uh, you know, and in bad shape. And he sees some rifles there that seem to have a high value. So he so oh, I'm excited about this. And then he goes down into the cellar, and there's this rollaway desk. And then inside that, there's this false drawer. And he opens up the drawer, and there's a pouch. And inside this pouch are some gold coins that date all the way back to the Confederacy of the Civil War. And there's 22 gold coins. His eyes light up. He's thinking, these are probably worth millions of dollars. Now, the problem is that the, to, to buy the house, it's 95 grand. He says, well, to get this, i got to sell everything. i gotta, you know, I got to sell my vehicles. i got to sell my, my, you know, my, my antique collection already. Because i, I, I gotta, I got to empty my bank account. I have to sell everything to buy this. Would you do that if you discovered it? Another case study, a woman named Sheila. She's in her 20s. She's an art teacher. And she's in the south of... Uh, France, and there's this, uh, there's this art show that's kind of a benefit to build this school and all this stuff, and, and uh, she discovers this painting, and it's presented as a copy of a Picasso, because the, the signature's a little bit different, and it doesn't seem to be an original, but she did her master's thesis on Picasso, and she, she knows some additional information about that signature, and as she looks at it, she thinks... I think this is the real thing. The problem is it's 25 grand to buy it. She doesn't. She's got like 600 bucks in the bank. She's like a part-time art teacher. She doesn't have the money. She's got this Volkswagen Jetta that she just loves. She's got, I got to sell my Jetta to get, the, to get the painting. 
So what would you do? Well, supposedly these case studies are based on real events, and uh, both John and Sheila, they pull the trigger. The coins are worth $30 million, the Picasso's worth $100 million, and they walk away with great joy. They have weighed the options. Jesus also taught in case studies. He taught in case studies. If you remember, if you know the story from, uh, from Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Now, what did they do back in the day? They didn't have 401ks and 403bs and all that good stuff. I don't think we had financial planners like we know it today. But what you would do, you would, you would hide, your, hide your treasure. And you'd tell your relatives, hey, this is where I buried it. Well, sometimes things happen. You know, it wasn't a secure world. And sometimes, you know, if that person would die, relatives would die, and you might be walking along in a field and you might poke something. Oh, wow, there's treasure. I'm going to buy that field. I'm going to buy that field. I'm going to sell everything to buy that field. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what it's like to have a relationship with God. That's what it's like to have a sold-out, all-in life following Jesus. The question, though, is this a rational decision? Is it reasonable, or is it just some romantic dream? Jesus makes the argument, Paul makes the argument, that if you know the worth, if you know the value, this isn't the translation, but I'll say it this way, you would be an idiot not to be all in. Do we feel sorry for Sheila because she sold her Jetta? Is she saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I want my Jetta back? Do we feel bad for John because of the antiques that he sold? No, millions of dollars. It is with great joy that the man buys the field. So as we think this morning about the competing whys, the competing logics, the logic of this world that says it's all about you, you're the CEO of your own company, you are free to do whatever you want to do, versus the logic of following Jesus, Paul and Jesus will say there is no comparison. Do the math. Now, let's talk about the how for a minute. What, is this, what does this look like? Again, back to verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's the how here? How do you do this? The what? I'm going to be sold out. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to put my whole self before him and say, use me. The why, in view of God's mercy, in view of what he has done for me, what he offers me, 
The God of the universe has sent his son to die for you, that you can have everlasting life with him. All the way back to Romans 8, you are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit. How do I value this thing? How do I know that that field is worth it? How do I know that the painting is true? How do I know that those gold coins are real and you don't just scratch the surface and there's something underneath? Because Jesus went to the cross, and he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead, and that's why we know it's true. That's why we know the worth is there. That's why we can worship. That's why we can give that value too. That's the why. But what about the how? What about the how? How do we do this? Well, Paul says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How do I renew my mind? Again, as an English teacher, I hate to say it this way, but do the math. Renewing your mind is the process of doing the math. How do I add it up? How do I look at the equation the right way? When I compare, when I look at what Jesus has done for me, when I look at the life that he promises when I look at a life with God and I compare that to just being on my own. Now, let's face it. We can play church and we can, we can read the Bible a little bit and we can come to church and we can sing a few songs and we can say, you know what, I'm the CEO, really, but I've got this consultant named Jesus and he can help me out when I get in trouble a little bit. And he can kind of get me over the hump, or he can give me a couple new ideas. He can, he can help me with my parenting a little bit. And that's great, and I'll get a little help for a while, and then I'll put him aside. It's interesting, that word living sacrifice, that means it's daily. <laughs> the old preacher joke is the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps wanting to get off the altar. <laughs> it won't stay there. But it's daily. So there's a daily renewal process. There's a daily process that says, add it up. Do the math. How do I look at what God has done for me? Then very briefly, how do I look at myself? Well, verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought do the math, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Where does your faith come from? Well, I'm really smart, and I thought of this great idea on my own, and I'm going to pursue God. No, I was dead. Faith is a gift. When I understand that, when I understand that it's all God is the first mover, God has given me this faith, there's a little thing called humility that follows that. Now, oh, in light of this, how do I see myself? Not more highly than I ought with sober judgment. What's the opposite of sober? I won't make a bad uh, Indy 500 joke this morning. Drunk. I guess I did it anyway. But to be drunk is to lose your senses, to be off in how you perceive, to not see Clearly, he says, with sober judgment. So I see myself as I am. 
Not too highly, also not too lowly. Because guess what? For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So as I do the math, I say, okay, God has given me faith. He's also given me gifts. He's given me something to use, to put into practice. And he goes on and he talks about all these gifts that we won't get into today. But this morning, as you think about what God has, what does he want? What does he want from us? He wants it all. As we're in this process of growing, he wants it all. Why? In view of his mercy, in view of what he's done for us. And how? This process that's daily, that's renewing my mind, that's simply doing the math. How do I see what God's done? How do I see myself? How do I see that I belong to something bigger? How do I add that all up? Now, this morning, we all come from different places. You've had different weeks. But I believe we all have something that we are hanging on to. When you think about offering yourself as a living sacrifice, that's the whole deal. That's the whole deal. What is it this morning that you're clinging on to? You're saying, God, I don't want you to have this part of my life. I can't give you control of that. I can't really give you control of my job. I can't really give you my finances. I really can't give those kids over to you because I want to control it. Whatever that is, it's what you're worshiping. That's your idol. That's my idol. What I believe God's word is challenging each one of us today is to simply do that math and ask yourself the question, what would it look like if I gave that up? What would it look like if I truly gave that up? Do I really trust God? Can I really let go of my kids and say, God, here you are. Do whatever it takes. I don't care if they're 18 months or 18 years. Can I release them? Can I really look at my finances and say, God, I, I, I trust you? Beautiful story I heard from one of our group leaders this week. Uh, uh, a, a woman in the group, she said, you know what, I'm retired, I'm single, I don't have a lot of money, but the Holy Spirit's just said to me, uh, hey, you have something to give. And she signed up to give online. Said, That's just my simple step of obedience. Sometimes we think it's, oh, this huge big thing. Well, that is a huge big thing, but to take a step, to simply respond. But what is it for you this morning? And my guess is it's a little bit different for each one of us. But what is it that you are hanging on to? It's keeping you from being all in. That's keeping you from fully trusting God. And I would simply ask for you to be open, <laughs> to do the math, and let the Holy Spirit guide you as you work to release that 
to him this morning. Now, as we think this morning, and really this whole message of Romans 12, the first few verses leads us to the communion table. It leads us to the point of that ultimate sacrifice. It leads us to the truth that we don't have to earn it. I go back to Private Ryan and I think about what would it have been like to live with that challenge? (laughs) To say, I have to live my life to earn it. The good news of the gospel, there's nothing we can do to earn it. Jesus paid it all on the cross. So I want you to take take out this wafer. And I want you to remember, I want you to to reflect. I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. In view of God's mercy. Just hold this in your hand. We got time this morning. We don't have to rush it. I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. I want you to remember that On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room and he took out the bread and and he he broke it. And after giving thanks, he, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body. This is my body broken for you. In view of God's mercy, do this in remembrance of Jesus. Let let us do it together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant, blood that will be shed the forgiveness of sins in view of God's mercies. May we drink the cup together. May we do this in remembrance of Jesus. This time I would invite you to bow your heads. Let us pray together. Father, it is in view of your mercy that we come to you this morning. Maybe some hearing my voice have never responded to that simple call to follow Jesus, to step in faith, and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I pray, Father, for anyone who may be in that situation that your spirit would move. And that the simple response of saying, Lord, I believe would come. And Father, as we remember your sacrifice, as we remember the bread and the cup, 
and we remember that your word tells us that you are urging us, you are pleading with us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in response to your sacrifice. So we pray now that your spirit would remind us who we are, would remind us of the true value of our life with you, of a true value, Jesus, of who you are. The true value that our only response can be to worship. That that's what's reasonable, that's what makes sense. So Holy Spirit, if it's to comfort, bring comfort. If it's to convict, convict. If it's a challenge and just say simply, Lord, this is what I need to give to you today. Make it clear. And give us the courage to respond in faith and actually give that to you and to not leave this place without responding. So Father, we thank you that you have given us Jesus to sacrifice for us, to save us, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.